0: This series contains adult language and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. In the year 1890, in the Natal region of South Africa, a baby girl was born and promptly abandoned. At various orphanages through her early years, she finally found a permanent home at St. Michael's Mission in Natal when she was four years old cared for and educated by the nuns and priests and overseen by the wise and stoic Father Erasmus Horner, this poor orphaned girl grew up smart and virtuous, and as she approached her sixteenth birthday, all who knew her expected nothing but great things as she blossomed into womanhood, perhaps even taking the vows. Her name was Clara Germana Sale. And she had other plans for her sweet 16 and those plans included a deal with the devil himself welcome back to the devil within you're listening to a deal with the devil at the time of clara's 16th birthday in 1906 catholicism as a constant organized presence in South Africa was barely 50 years old. It was back in 1847 that the Eastern Cape Vicariate was created, with Father Aidan Devereux as its first vicar apostolic. It was Father Devereux who invited the first nuns to his congregation. These missionaries arrived in 1852 and formed the Oblates of Mary Immaculate. However, prior to the mid-1800s, the Catholic Church had a difficult time finding a foothold in southern Africa. It all began almost 400 years earlier, on December 8, 1487, when Bartholomew Diaz, a Portuguese explorer, dropped anchor in Walvis Bay on the southwest coast of Africa in present-day Namibia. Diaz was in the midst of what would become his historic journey as the first European mariner to navigate the southern tip of Africa. And the first Catholic Mass in Southern Africa was believed to have taken place either in late December, 1487, or early January, 1488. Shortly thereafter, Diaz would set sail, leaving hardly a trace. Ten years later, famed explorer Vasco da Gama would note, on his way to India, the east coast of present-day South Africa, and in his journal would christen it, Tierra de Natal. This was Christmas Day, 1497. Even though both of these famed explorers traveled with missionaries, none were left behind. Evangelizing South Africa would have to wait for centuries. From the mid-1600s to the late 1700s, Catholicism was forbidden in South Africa by rule of the Dutch East India Company, who happened to be in charge. And for the next 20 years after that, under British rule, the same prohibitions applied, with only a few brief tolerances from the increasingly progressive Dutch. In 1818, Pope Pius VII appointed the first vicar to the region of Southern Africa, but still, British rule forbade him from ever setting foot there. It wasn't until 1837 that things began to change in favor of the Catholic Church in South Africa with the appointment of Raymond Griffith, a Dominican, as the first bishop of South Africa. From then on, Catholicism as a viable, permanent institution was established. It was in the region that enchanted Vasco de Gama to the point that he named it after his savior's birthday. Tierra de Natal translates to the land of Christmas. It was, after all, December 25th when he spotted the beautiful coastline. It was in this coastal region that our story takes place. The St. Michael's Mission was opened in 1855, and served as a church, a farm, a school, an orphanage, and a full-time residence for the priests, nuns, and students. There were dormitories, a cafeteria, a church, lots of outdoor spaces to relax and reflect, and a constant supply of chores to keep potentially idle hands busy. Despite the unfortunate nature of her early years, Clara had no recollection of troubled times. The joy and acceptance of the mission is the only life she ever knew, and there she prospered. There isn't much known about Clara during her adolescence. All we do know comes from interviews after the events in 1906. But those reports tell an innocent story of a smart, responsible girl who dutifully served the mission, worked hard in school, and treated those around her with the same respect she had been shown her entire life. With all that in mind, it would be fair to say that it came as a terrible shock when, in the darkness of a late summer night, 16-year-old Clara began screaming for help from the sisters of the mission. It was the middle of the night. It took a few minutes to rouse the sleeping nuns, but when they arrived at Clara's small room, she immediately ordered them to rouse Father Erasmus Horner himself. Such was the severity of her distress the nuns hesitated. Waking the father was a last resort, as the sisters were empowered to handle almost any issue that might arise from one of the students. Almost anything. For something as serious as, say, confession, that would require the priest. Confession at this hour? The nuns asked a clearly scared and suffering Clara. Regular schedules of confession were well-established at the mission, a schedule Clara had followed for years. Couldn't she wait until morning? Absolutely not. She feared she would be dead by morning. At this point, the sheer curiosity of the sisters compelled them to ask the obvious next question. At whose hand might you be dead by dawn, my child? One of the sisters asked. Clara took a deep breath and answered. Lucifer himself. Now, this is where the story takes a turn that you might not expect. Despite the obvious religious fervor that a nun would definitely possess, they don't just instantly clutch their rosaries and submit when a scared teenage girl mentions Lucifer in the middle of the night. They'd be skeptical, just like we would. And these Sisters of St. Michael's Mission were just that. Actually, they were highly skeptical and at first told Clara to just go to bed. She must have had a nightmare likely caused by the near constant warnings of the power of the devil she heard preached from the pulpit every single day i mean what did they expect it could be argued that much of the young life of a forced catholic uh, excuse me i mean a child born into catholicism much of that child's youth is spent being told of the exceptionally horrific consequences of sin a lifetime of torment and suffering in the fires of hell and not just you but the people you love also. And it's all orchestrated by the fallen angel who dared disobey the master, and he wants you next. Yeah, I can see how these nuns were probably used to dealing with terrible nightmares from the kids they looked after. So, they dismissed her. Or at least they tried to. Until Clara fully let the cat out of the bag, as it were. Please, sisters, I need to confess before the devil takes my life. You see, on the night of my 16th birthday, just a few weeks ago, I signed a pact with Satan. A pact for my very soul, and I fear that he has possessed me. Huh, the sisters thought. Come to think of it, Clara had been acting kind of strange lately. They chalked it up to normal teenage behavior That could be taken care of with prayer and chores and prayer and maybe a swift paddle to the rear end that seemed to be a remedy for tons of stuff back then nonetheless the admission from one of their charges that she allegedly struck a deal with the angel of darkness was enough for the sisters to decide to fetch the priest you see for all their adult cynicism those nuns were exposed to the same fear-mongering as children, and that shit tends to take root. By the time the sisters returned to inform young Clara that Father Erasmus was indeed on his way, things had gotten much worse in Clara's room. First off, they immediately realized that Clara was in distress. She was talking to someone, or something, that wasn't there. You betrayed me, she screamed. You promised me glory but have delivered only suffering and torture. The nuns gasped and crossed themselves, and just as Clara noticed them, they noticed the chaotic state of Clara's room. Smashed crucifixes, rosary beads scattered across the room. Things had gotten real in a hurry. Then Clara began to growl like an animal, and her entire appearance seemed to change right in front of the terrified nuns. When Father Erasmus arrived, he had already been hearing the desperate growls of what sounded like a caged and wounded animal. But when he entered the room, he couldn't have expected what he saw. Apparently, the cries of Clara summoned other nuns from the dormitory, and they had assisted the others in forcing Clara onto her demolished bed and secured her wrists and ankles with the shredded clothing that was strewn about the room. Father Erasmus, though, was prepared for what he walked into. This guy had been around the block and when the nuns alerted him to what Clara had claimed to have agreed to and with whom, it only took him a minute to arm himself with the godly weapons required for battle. Father Erasmus entered the room holding a small candle in one hand and an ancient tome in the other. He read aloud in Latin from this book as he approached Clara. The book was the super-secretive Ritual Romanum, the ancient text that serves as the official playbook for all Catholic rites, including, and especially, exorcisms. But believe it or not, in the early 1900s, exorcisms were considered an archaic and outdated rite within the church and were rarely, if ever, performed. So it wasn't exactly the first thing on the priest's mind as he approached the writhing, growling teenager but then like a cacophony of demons the room was filled with the most unpleasant sound anyone there could ever remember hearing ear splitting guttural exaltations seeming to erupt from the belly of hell itself so much so that the rest of the dormitory was awakened and soon an audience of children was watching from the open doorway after a few more latin phrases were recited from the book father erasmus approached clara and asked who or what was speaking it was at this moment in that small room surrounded by the purity of the nuns and the innocence of the gathered children that clara germana Sele, or whatever was in control of clara germana Sale, suddenly calmed and settled into the bed before turning and looking directly into the eyes of Father Erasmus. Then, as reported by everyone who witnessed it, Clara's placid young face contorted into an evil, ancient grin that spread from ear to ear. And the voice that emerged was again, an unholy cacophony of demons speaking as one. The voice claimed to be Satan and had taken control of Clara's body as the result of a binding agreement willfully entered into by her satan claimed to be in charge of a legion of demons destined to overthrow the god they all knew but that he and his army despised the good father ordered everyone out of the room and further ordered everyone in the dorm to be confined to their rooms for the remainder of the evening this show is sponsored by better help best advice I ever got working with a writing partner was this. Having a partner doesn't mean you each do half the work. It means you each do all the work and the end result is a richer, fuller story. The right relationship doesn't always mean the easiest relationship. Sometimes the best relationships require the most work, but the results will be a richer, fuller experience that will last. And therapy can be the best place to work through whatever challenges you're facing with your current relationships. And it can be relationships at work, with friends, or of course, your romantic relationship. The right therapist can help you forge the necessary tools for dealing with the important people in our lives. Honesty, coping skills, boundary setting. I have personally benefited from therapy since I was in my late teens. And as a result, I can proudly say that my relationships, while far from perfect, are stronger and more fulfilling than I could have hoped for. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, convenient, and designed to fit your schedule. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DevilWithin today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash devil within how strange for those unfortunate souls who had to endure the remainder of the night listening to the intense suffering of one of their own in a voice that wasn't hers and would occasionally break into long grotesque soliloquies in languages unknown to them polish french latin all foreign tongues that Clara had never been exposed to and whose knowledge of such languages was all the more cause for terror. The highly controversial nature of exorcisms required Father Erasmus to gain permission from his elders before he could even consider attempting one. That would take days, long, grueling days of suffering for everyone at the mission and especially for Clara. This time was torturous. For Clara spent it almost entirely confined to her room, bound to her bed, with whatever evil forces controlling her refusing to allow anyone near her, especially if they were carrying a religious object. A crucifix, either brandished or concealed, would, according to the journals of Father Erasmus, suddenly fly across the room and shatter to splinters if it got too close to Clara. Likewise, a glass container filled with holy water would be caused to explode upon the mere crossing of the threshold into Clara's room. But the most terrifying of all, again as written in Erasmus' own hand, was the witnessing on several occasions of Clara Germana Saleh levitating more than five feet into the air. On the rare instance during those seemingly never-ending days awaiting permission to perform the exorcism, Clara would be brought into the chapel for Mass. And on one of these occasions, more than 170 parishioners witnessed Clara rise off her chair, again more than five feet into the air, so much so that two churchgoers seated beside her had to grab her by the ankles to prevent her from floating away. After days of extreme deterioration regarding Clara's physical state, her skin had turned gray, her hair had mostly fallen out, and she began looking less and less like a vital young woman and more like a monster. Her physical attacks on the nuns became more frequent, and people were beginning to believe that she wouldn't survive much longer. When a stranger appeared at the door, a young man from a far-off church named Reverend Menswetti, had arrived to announce to Father Erasmus that the exorcism had been approved and he had been sent to assist in the proceedings and they were to begin at once. One of my favorite shows as a kid was the A-Team. I always loved the scenes right before the big fight in the last act. The scenes when they were gearing up, getting all their weapons in order and formulating their plan. The anticipation was amazing. Exorcists do the same pre-gaming as well. But for them, the first and most important pre-exorcism ritual is the act of confession. They have to be completely pure before they confront a being in the charge of Satan, much less Satan himself. There can be no spiritual weakness, no possible entry point for a demon that has been forced out of one person to gain immediate entry into another. After a thorough cleansing of the soul, they arm themselves with several crucifixes, various containers of holy water, a few Bibles each, and, of course, a copy of the Ritual Romanum to make sure they get it right. As explored in detail in Season 2 of The Devil Within, a priest conducting an exorcism is acting in his ordained capacity as a representative of Christ on earth and commanding with that very same authority. Now, as the hierarchy of who's in charge goes, the buck stops with Jesus. If he says jump, you ask how high, even if you're Satan but you have to ask in just the right way or a clever demon will beat you with technicalities. And that's where the ritual Romanum comes in. There are steps clearly outlined. For example, the first thing you have to do is get the demon's name. You have to know who you're dealing with in order to know the proper way to order them to leave, the way that must be obeyed by each particular demon. And this is where a lot of the trickery comes in. A clever demon will dance around giving their actual identity and their efforts to hang out as long as possible. So Erasmus and Mansueti enter Clara's room and get to work. It's a horrifying, violent process with the priests yelling, splashing holy water everywhere, constant repeating of the same prayers, the guttural howls from the demons desperate to remain in their unwilling host, more levitations which freaked men Sweaty out. He hadn't seen that shit yet. The main point of contention coming from the other side was the demon's assertion that they had the right to stay due to the deal that Clara made with the boss. The priests, in their in loco parentis capacity, had no power. In the face of a binding contract the argument from the priests was that of course jesus can break a contract besides she's 16 dude kids make mistakes finally after 12 brutal hours the mangled figure of clara germana sale lifted off the bed one final time her mouth opened sickeningly wide to allow for a ghastly fog of evil to escape her body and disappear into the ceiling above her bed over the next few weeks clara's health began to return slowly but surely father erasmus was convinced of her well-being and took a temporary opportunity at a mission many days ride right away on the other side of south africa Reverend Mansweady stuck around as a favor to Erasmus to keep an eye on things until he got back. And all was well, for a while. Then some of the nuns began to notice that Clara's recovery seemed to stall, plateau, and then reverse. Within six months, Clara was back in her room, refusing to eat, refusing to attend mass or confession, And then, on a hunch, one night, Reverend Mansweaty silently stood outside her door and heard the familiar growl of the demon. He didn't want to alert this interloper that they had been discovered, so he retreated silently and sent for the immediate return of Father Erasmus. It took two weeks for the father to arrive, but once at the mission, they immediately got underway. And this time around, the exorcism would prove far more treacherous, for the Dark Lord would pull out all the stops. When this second exorcism of Clara Germana Sale began in earnest, it was truly a shocking event. It started with a vicious choking attack on an unsuspecting Reverend Mansuety that nearly killed him. Then there were more levitations, speaking in strange tongues, and most disturbing of all, Clara showed a sudden, clairvoyant ability. She began to reveal unknowable personal facts about people in the room. Nuns who had secretly broken their vows, cash skimmed from the donation box, even benign occurrences that Father Erasmus had recently encountered on his trip home by himself. It soon became apparent that the horror of the previous exorcism was merely a warm-up for what was to come. The second exorcism of Clara Germana lasted six days and caused untold harm and anguish for all involved. But eventually, the forces of good prevailed. Just before midnight on the sixth day, at the command of Father Erasmus, the demon finally could no longer disobey the order from his master. Clara's body stiffened, her head was thrown back, and after a long moment of violent thrashing in her bed, she finally calmed, her body relaxed, and clear tears fell from her eyes, replacing the blood that had only recently run there. She looked up at Father Erasmus, and they both began to sob. It was finally over. Reverend Mansueti decided to remain at St. Michael's mission, and little is known of him following the events surrounding the exorcisms of Clara Germana Saleh. Father Erasmus also remained at St. Michael's for the remainder of his life. Although he rarely spoke of the events, it was reported that word reached the Vatican about his heroic efforts on behalf of Clara and sent a team to extensively interview both Erasmus and Mansueti and have their deeds recognized by the church as well as to have their actions used as a training tool for future exorcisms. Clara Germana Saleh refused the holy orders and left the mission at the age of 18. She is reported to have married at age 20 and to have died after a brief illness at age 22. Thanks for listening. Make sure you're following The Devil Within wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. You could also check out our socials at The Devil Within Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Till next time, stay safe out there. Seeking the truth never gets old.